The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Irreverent. Entertaining. Cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. You can find me online through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. From my website, you're able to schedule sessions to meet with me in person or remotely you're able to listen to archived episodes of this show. Please subscribe to this show through the links available to iTunes and Google Play. And I welcome you and thank you in advance for supporting my show through the crowdfunding campaign I have with Patreon.com. And you're able to take advantage of discounted offers available through the affiliate links that are listed. Today's show is brought to you by Audible where there are over 180,000 book titles to choose from. And they offer you to try a 30-day trial with a free audio book download by going to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. So today's a really special show for me. Many of you know that besides being a therapist, I'm a professional glass artist. And I got my start from the gentleman that I am interviewing today. In moments, we're going to be with Professor Gene Koss. He founded the Tulane Glass Art Department in 1976 and has taught and inspired tens of thousands of students. Many of them have gone on to be leaders in their own right within the glass art world. Gene holds the Maxine and Ford Graham Chair in Fine Arts at Tulane, and his career spans 41 years. And he's credited with the development of a glass casting technique that really has taken glass off the pedestal into the sculptural medium and material of a, in, in a monumental scale. His pieces are three to eight tons, combined mixed media, glass and steel. And he's pioneered a casting technique that where you ladle molten glass into steel molds and use torches to keep them from cracking. This was not happening before Gene developed this process. And because of his contributions, he is a major influence in contemporary sculpture in America and around the world. Gene has exhibited in 50 one-man shows, 245 group shows, and he's conducted 89 workshops and lectures worldwide, including in Italy, at Urban Glass, New York, Penland, North Carolina, Pilchuck Glass School in Stanwood, Washington, and Toyama City Institute of Glass in Japan. 
Jean is in major museum collections and private collections around the world. He's received multiple grants from the NEA. He's been interviewed on NPR, WYES, WLAE. He's been published in over 150 articles and books, including Who's Who in American Art. He's represented by Arthur Roger Gallery and has been since the 1980s when the gallery was in New York City and now is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Gene himself got his start at Tyler School of Art from Temple University in Philly, where he started in ceramics and moved into glass. So we're going to talk about that, as well as his influence on contemporary American sculpture, his book coming out in 2018, and his prolific career. It's my honor, Gene, to have you on today. Welcome. Well, thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. I'm excited for uh, being on your uh, on your show. I've been looking forward to it. Thank you. So I-, I wanted to start by asking you, did you ever imagine that you would be where you are today when you started as a young artist? Well, it's good. that's a good question. You, you really don't know where it's going to take you. I, I pinch myself all the time uh, with a world-class studio um, at, uh, at Tulane now, where we started really, really small, a real bohemian studio out back. I started with $5,000 from a, from a grant from Pace McConti um, uh, out, of, out of Texas, Margaret Wilson. We were really fortunate. And, uh, but I, um, I always had my eye on the ball. I guess you find something you really love and passionate about, um, and that's all I wanted to be as a sculptor. And I saw people like uh, Peter Volkus's studio uh, in the Dome at that time in L.A. And then studying at uh, Tyler School of Art, where um, serious artists would come out of New York come down and uh, teach for two days, go back on a train. So um, I was around some pretty heavy um, influences as a young artist. And um, I always wanted to be, uh, I wanted to do something that was, I thought, to push the envelope. And um, so, and and I always looked at other people. If you're going to make good art, you got to look at good art. So uh, I think there's a lot of influences, a lot of mentors, I guess. So that, that's exactly what, what I wanted to ask you next, Gene, that knowing that you grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, how the farm and that landscape has influenced your sculpture, and, and how did you get from the farm to Tyler School of Art, if you can share all that with us? Well, um, uh, uh, one of the things I did listen to was uh, instructors, and sometimes I had a hard time listening, it's <laughs> being so so uh, uh, high energy, I guess, but... Um, uh, Doug Johnson said, you know, you need to study outside of the Midwest when you go to grad school. And that was a really good, uh, uh, I thought that was really good to, uh, to have that kind of influence to, to go to another area. Uh, but, uh, you know, the area I came out of was really important, I feel, in, in, in art making itself. I always, my ideas are always about landscape and land, people that work the land. Um, there's something that really... Uh, pulls me back there uh, with images and uh, and people that that are really don't get much credit at all for what they do because uh, they, they survive but um, I think that uh, for many years and still up to the last what three years um, my ideas really stem from from the, like site specific work um, uh, the, the, 
sites that, that influenced me, people that influenced me, the, the kind of work ethic. Uh, I thank my folks for that kind of work ethic that uh, to do what we're doing. Um, being a sculptor is really pretty tough work. Uh, and then keeping it going and that kind of work ethic, I think one's going to have to have that to do the kind of work that I know I, I have to do. You know, it's, um, it's very, uh, uh, very involved physically to do yes. the work that I'm doing. Um, so, um, so it's, um, it's that that area did influence me, but that I think hopefully now um, in the last few years I've kind of maybe moved on okay. from, from that uh, those thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking too when you mentioned work that this process, and for our listeners to know, glass casting that Gene does is an industrial process. You're suited up in leathers, and you're working with glass that's that's. Oh, what is it, 2,300 degrees and suited yeah, right, up in these leathers right. with torches. So it's hot and it's heavy and it's a foundry process. And your work ethic, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, I know more about your background than maybe some of our listeners, but growing up on the right. farm, you worked hard and from early morning to late at night. And it seems like that background has really been a help to what you've chosen to do as a sculpture. A sculptor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you there. I mean, um, my process is, is, is labor intensive, but it's worth it when the pieces are done. Some of these pieces will take three years to make. Mm-hmm. So two years. I'm, I'm working on a piece now that's a year and a half. Uh, labor intensive. Uh, I thought I was working on big pieces when I was in graduate school. But... Um, yeah, it, it, there, it's like uh, it's like being a blacksmith, I guess. But you're working with a team again too. We work right. in teams on the farm, and I work with huge teams. I, I like the camaraderie working in a team. And I've got a great team. You're on the team, of course, and and I've always had teams through the years to pull off my work. And sculptors in general, sculptors in general work in teams. And um, but yes, uh, I'm only as good as uh, my assistants, and I, I've been really blessed to have. Um, a lot of good ones, and uh, but it, the the process is is really it, very intense. And by that I mean you either get it or you don't. And that's kind of my personality. I am one not to give up. If it takes me a month to figure out a mold to how to cast it, we're gonna we're gonna do it. Uh, and getting the pieces off of the pedestal from the ground up was always my big push as a young artist. Of course, the first few pieces, you know, I don't, you don't even want to look at them anymore, because you know, <laughs> uh, there, uh, there's there's weak links in within that those pieces. But uh, uh, I really wanted to fit into the the real sculptors that were were making work um, in, the, in the early '70s and '80s, uh, and, and not have the work just be. Um, um, decorative, and I don't say decorative in a in a in a, in a way that's um, in, in putting that word down. But uh, I wanted it to be um, have to have the work say something, and, and also be accepted with along with uh, the sculptors that work with other materials. Yes, you know there is a sensibility about your work as your eye moves through it and around it from top to bottom. And and that's one of the things I've really learned working at your side the last 21 years is is how to look at art as a problem solving process. And like you said, you will take months to figure out a mold and you're determined to to figure out how to, you know, make your idea come to life. And the way you do that is at the monumental scale of three to eight tons. And I'm just wondering how you even figured out, Gene going from a young artist and sculptor to how to move these pieces, how to put them together. I mean, 
I don't know that there's anyone around for you to learn from. So I wonder if you could talk to us about that. Yeah, process. that's a good, good question. You know, I've been really fortunate to have that kind of background. I was telling a kid the other day that um, when my, my break from college was uh, go home and help my uh, uncle skid wood logs in the, in the woods in the wintertime. Uh, and it's pretty tough work, you know, but I learned a lot for rigging and my work now. Um, it's one thing making the work, but then we have to break them down and get them around. And that's very, very incredibly involved in, in that process. Likewise. Um, so you, um, yeah, you you figure it out, or you won't be in the business. I always tell myself. <laughs> and there's there's times where I'll go across the bridge to my studio in Bell Chase, uh, what 25 miles away, and I said, I think there's a song that says you you reach too hard and you failed. And there's days where I go, I said, man, I think I just uh, I, I went too far out there, and I can't, uh, and I don't know if it's going to we're going to make this we're going to make this piece work. But sometimes you just got to believe in yourself. I've been there before. I think I'm kind of there now with this piece that we're building. Um, it's called walking through the valley and, uh, it's a very involved piece. Um, a lot of uh, people working on it, but it's all got to come together and you don't know, you know, even by drawings and all the, all the high tech stuff we use, you still, it's still got to work at the end when you, when you, when you put it together, you know, cause a lot of these pieces got to be broken down to get into the galleries, being the heavy metal and the glass being heavy too. You wouldn't think of glass being heavy, be it translucent, but it's heavy as concrete. So, um, that all has to be uh, broken down, put into crates and then moved, moved on site. But now that really, matters unless the work has got some substance. So I pretty much start from an idea, and then I figure out how to build it. And, uh, uh, but I, um, you know, if you keep at it, you'll, if you'll figure it out. Just don't give up. I just, I guess I've been too bullheaded over the years to ever give up on a piece. Um, but I've shut down projects where I didn't like, um, you know, a third into the process and then I just didn't like it. Wasn't the piece wasn't good enough. So I, I would just, um, go to another piece. Right, so you're able to change, make decisions midstream, according to what's needed, is what I hear you. Yeah, saying. well, yeah, you you got to be careful on these large pieces because there's a lot of a lot of preparation in terms of drawings, um, um, an engineer involved in them, a lot of them, some of them. Um, some not most time. Yes. Um, a lot of preliminary drawings there could be a couple thousand drawings going into a, a large project. We've got to, we got to make sure we hit the target before we go into fabrication. Once we go into fabrication, meaning that the piece, then, uh, the people are working on the steel and I start casting the glass molds got to be made. Uh, uh maquettes got to be made, uh, of, of the piece. Now we do everything in solid stock so we can see it in space, but that, doesn't always tell everything either you know or once it sits in a site and how it comes away from the ground is is really uh was is really really important something big is worse than something small if it doesn't doesn't work you know and uh so we're really critical about very i guess hard on ourselves in terms of how we we work the glass into the metal and then uh, the new piece is kind of going back to having light um light uh, involved in it too on the inside just for illumination and right. um, in the 70s and 80s we use a lot of neon uh, in illumination I'm not a real neon artist but I, I had the people do it uh, to illuminate the glass you know yeah um, so uh, 
we really question, I always question why we use what we do. May it be the color? Every every big piece, there's a reason that what colors we use. I'm not very much of a colorist. Uh, matter of fact, right. the book that comes out, there's a, there's a critic wrote a, on on. on on, on, in the book, to say that I was a sneaky um, colorist, and so I'm very sensitive about how I use color because uh, my thoughts are very humanist, uh, and I don't want usually. There's not a lot of color in my pieces, uh, so I want you to to see the purity of the glass and the kind of hopefully the work ethic that goes into these pieces too. There's a there's something that I, that's a remembrance of the process. I think process is very important. And what you do, because um, it, it opens it opens a lot of doors. It's not the answer to the to the art, but don't overlook that process. You know, so I'm constantly experimenting on the side, on work, on new processes too that are not out yet. But uh, I'm very involved, and in, I don't do as much as I used to. I do a lot of drawings, a lot of drawings on on the pieces. Um, mm-hmm. Probably should be, should be probably drawing more, uh, but it's uh, there's always quite a bit of work to do to, to get these pieces up. Well, and I think what's different about you as compared to some artists that have reached your your level and scale is that you are in the studio casting glass with you with us. Like you're not fabricating that out. Like you are hands on in the studio with the molds, the ladles, everything, the torches. And so I think you bring yourself to the pieces and they have such an honesty and, and standalone quality. I think because of that, you are really a part of them in, in every aspect. And that's been yeah, important to you, I know. Yeah, that's a good point because I worked in Italy a couple of different times and worked in Japan too. But I worked in Italy um, in the Pino Santoretto studio, a Barberini studio. Um, and my wife said, "Well, you know, they were they were very much uh, Italian pieces in a way. They, your work mm-hmm. is more personal here." And I think that's. I mean, I have to be. Even this is tough work. Each block has to be really right on, um, as you know. And I mean, I think they'd have a different identity um, if. If somebody, if I just farm this this piece out, because the, that's why I tell kids the process when you work and be sensitive to that, be aware of the process because it really feeds back a lot of ideas, and that's it's also important for me um, to be in there with that team dictating the I mean not dictate just working and flowing. It's, it's really great to have a professional team, so then you can really feel relaxed at on the on the spontaneity and intuitiveness of the process right. because it is so it is so uh it is so high tech uh, it has nothing to do with high tech or low tech when you're making art and it's either good you know to me it's either you hit the target or you don't and uh, whatever the idea is but direct casting is for me i'm not a kiln caster it fits my personality it's like a either get a or an f and when you're process <laughs> when you're casting does that make sense it does make sense so you mentioned a moment ago your wife, Mary Koss, and I know that you give a lot of respect to her and your son, Gwen. How has your family supported you to be able to have this career that you have? Because I think you've sacrificed, and they've sacrificed a lot. I wonder if you could speak to us about that. Well, as we all know, you, you as an artist, either you do or you don't. And I was one of those never home on the road uh, for what? 35 years uh, on the road doing t- between two studios and uh, my wife is takes takes care of the business side of, of, of things and now the book came it's coming out she did a lot of amazing amount of league work uh, analytical work on that so incredibly supportive 
Um, and uh, it's, it, and I really mean that because I was one of those guys that I basically still live in the studios. I mean, or, uh, less on the road now because other people moving to work, but very supportive. Um, that's tough. Not, not easy. Um, and I need that kind of support too. It's a two way street. So she's, uh, my wife is, uh, she's a very hardcore critic now, Lisa, on the work. Yeah. So uh, she knows that's, it. That, yeah, she knows. She definitely knows that she's on top of it. Uh, so we, uh, we're, uh, we're uh, really a great team. I think my mom, my mother and dad were a great team in, in their business. Uh, but we're two opposites. My wife's an accountant, runs a big in a big firm in New Orleans, and um, and uh, I'm a, I'm a sculptor. So they always say two opposites draw. So uh, you know, you, so I'm really blessed. Yeah, and I know your sons help you on sets. I've been on sets with Gwen and some of his friends that were NFL football players because those sets are so significant. So Gwen and Gwen's made art himself. So the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Was there anyone else in your family, Gene, before you that was an artist? I don't think I've ever asked you that. No, I tell you what, uh, um, my son is still, he, he makes work, you know, he yeah. does music, music too. He's very sensitive. He comes to the studio. He really has a, a great, you know, you, you learn by osmosis. You could tell he's been in that studio for, since he was a young man and uh, very sensitive. I'm not sure if he wants to be a visual sculptor. Um, I had a, um, a cousin, I guess, or some type of relation that the Hauser in, in Minneapolis was a well-known sculptor. But my mother, um, on my mother's Hauser side, I guess, but not so much on my dad's side, the causes, you know. So uh, I'm not sure where this this um, you know this comes from, but um, I know that I, it wasn't just a splash in the pan. You know, it's a totally in, in involvement. And I tell students today, I might be seventy, but I feel like I'm twenty-seven. Yeah. Uh, about when I'm when I'm working and uh, and I'm really involved. I mean, uh, um, I can't. I just can't set it down. I don't have the the you know. I can't work into the night now uh, because of my age, but uh, I'm on top of it. You just, as you move along, you just got to, you got to take care of your body better. Uh, so right. um, I don't have the kickback like I used to. You know, I, I know in being familiar with some of your work, you've done some pieces like work wagon that are homage to your father. And I'm wondering if your parents were to see now where your career is, the work, what, what do you think they would think? Um, I think that they came. They were blue collar people. They were very supportive of the work. Um, you know, I did a piece called um, Work Wagon. It's out east in a big collection, and I did a, uh, a piece called uh, High Honor for my father. Uh, it was a blowing uh, lunch bucket, and I was at Pilchuck. The, the gaffers uh, uh, took care of that for me. Uh, and and, uh, and that, again, that's uh, about the people that that uh, help you along the way or be sensitive to the land. I just finished a piece called Bendor Cut, uh, and that was um, done for the, the triannual show in New Orleans. And it's a, um, it's a, a glass and metal piece about a site that uh, people had to c- 
carve out by hand to, to get their milk from one point to another in late 1800s. So uh, again, reflecting on what people have to do to, to make it in a different time, I guess. So uh, one thing I don't do, I don't think, it's just I don't copy myself with my work. Mm-hmm. I'm always, I'm, when I'm done with a sculpture, I'm on to the next one. I mean, it, I, it's it's history. I don't, you know, I don't look back. And I don't, you know, it's the easiest thing to do is in, in glass sometimes is you get a formula and then you figure that out. And then, um, and, and that's, that's good probably on the dollar bills, but it's not good for the creativeness. You know, uh, uh, that's what keeps us going. I tell students is, is your work and your sketchbook, you know, uh, right. you're constantly drawing. I wish my students would draw more. Uh, I'm always digging in that sketchbook. And I think that helps me draw to draw. There's an old line, draw to draw. And that's, that's still important. You know, you know, you can't just pull up everything on YouTube and think that's the answer. Right, right. You know, at one of your recent recent shows at Arthur Roger, I really liked how how he displayed your sketchbooks because they're art in themselves. You use even mixed media in your sketchbook and you tape found objects to bring out color and texture. And it's obvious that your sketchbook has been sacred to you since it looks like you started. Is that? Yeah, I think that, you know, yeah, I was one of those guys that didn't like to draw. And when I was in graduate school, Clark, John Clark said, you you need to draw more. And I fought it. But then once I got going, I said, well, guess what? He knows more than I do. I better listen. (laughs) So I started drawing and started fiddling. And I think now I tell kids, um, you know, to draw how you draw like you, how you think you can build. Mm -hmm. That's how I do. I draw like how I see the the pieces, just real intuitively. And I just got um, an email um, uh, flyer from... uh, um, Francine Judd, a good sculptor here, and she yeah. sent me a thing on on David Smith on drawing, and he said drawing was the the the, the best way to get to the purity of a, of a thought. And so, if your thought is something, get it down any way possible. And that's how I I kind of draw collage, uh, and then and any way to get that thought across and and remember it or whatever. So, but in the book, we're going to have. Um, a chapter is how it's made because I think it's important how my work is fabricated yes. too because that has a lot to do with the, the originality of the book because uh, I can't touch the glass so I invent equipment and tools so the work becomes uh, more of the gene cost than somebody else so um, it, yeah, the, the process is is, is, a, is quite involved you know, so, I think drawing is is is, uh, is part of that. Even though drawings now, uh, Lisa, they're, they used to make money on drawings, and uh, now it's it's part of the process. And uh, but to the artist, but not to the 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 the, the audience that ends up you know buying the work. Yes. So can we talk about your book? It's coming out in 2018. Can you tell our listeners about? I know there's a section how it's made, which is important because this process is so labor intensive. Is this book like, say, a retrospective of your career? How would you put it? Well, first of all, I want it to be good enough where I want to pick it up. I mean, it has to be really <laughs> that. You know, I just like I tell my students. Well, I'm going to spit my tea out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh, it's kind of like. Uh, 
it's like your work. You want people to stop and, and, and look at it rather than go buy it in a gallery. So, and that book, I mean, some, there's some basic things I wanted in that book. We, um, and, um, it's what, three years in the making, and uh, I take a little bit of a credit for it, but not much of it. I hired people like you know, uh, Andrew Page out of New York, who's head of, the editor of uh, Glass, Mag- Glass Quarterly Magazine. He's overlooking it, and he brought on... Uh, uh, three other people involved in the book. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I don't like to maybe ex- you know explain too much of it until you actually see it sure, because it's, it's always bad. bad. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's it's gonna uh, it's gonna be an interview plus uh, it's gonna be involved maybe uh, 12 major pieces, uh, color, um, kind of showcase those and. Um, and then uh, uh, James Yoid out of uh, Chicago is writing an essay on it. But um, we're not going to cut any corners. Whatever it takes for that book to be, uh, I feel, uh, a strong uh, a strong book we, we need to do. And I think it will be. It's getting close. Uh, but because I'm not a book writer, I'm a sculptor, so uh, right. we've hired people to take care of that. Uh, but one section of the book is how things are made. And uh, we, we had a really great designer out of New York that I'm very excited about. So uh, it should be out. Hopefully, um, I'm meeting with uh, with Andrew next week in New Orleans um, on the final push on the book. And uh, it's getting real close to going to print. And it should be out within six months. I know that I'd lo- it's got to be out before my next huge show in, in this city, which is in, which August, is in August for White Linen. 20, August right. 2018, Arthur Roger Gallery for White Linen. Correct, right. You know, speaking of, so for our listeners to know, you'll be able to get this book through ArthurRoger.com, ArthurRogerGallery, my correction, .com, and Arthur has represented you since the 1980s in New York City. What role has has being with the gallery and, and his in particular influenced, helped, you know, Ben, like what is that relationship like? As wow. A well, I'm pretty blessed because um, my work is really tough as far as far as it's not decorative. It's um, it's sculpture. It's heavy. It's large uh, and involved. Uh, and um, when he had the gallery in New York, I was in Soho with him uh, with with a, with, a, with a huge show at that time. And um, it's really tough to... Uh, I've been into other galleries around the country in the 70s and 80s, early 90s, and, and some of them disappeared, of course, because of the times. But uh, because my stuff is 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 not uh, it's uh, it's not decorative at all. So it kind of there's a it's it's got to fits into um, definitely into the sculpture range. And so I'm really blessed to have a, a gallery like that. That's it's a painting. Uh, a sculpture gallery like he has in, in New Orleans, you know, it's it's, it's a world class, a major gallery, amazing facility. Yeah, yeah, and in the in the where I can show, well, where I can show my monumental pieces. I mean, I don't take that yes. for granted anymore because th- those sites around the country, may it be Crane Arts in in Philly or any of those large big spaces, they're hard to come by, um, and uh, and so I've been really really blessed on, on, on that. It's a two way street with, uh, what, what we do, but, uh, but he's, um, uh, but my work is sculpture and, and that's, uh, it's always t- a tough one, uh, for galleries too, to, to market. Right. Right. To market and sell. Gee, right. we're going to take a quick little commercial break and be right back. So hold on. Okay. okay thank for you. For you, you're welcome. 
for you, the listeners of All Things Therapy, Audible is offering you a 30-day free trial and audiobook download by going to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. Like I said earlier, they have over 180,000 titles available to you to choose from, like the book Before We Were Yours by Lisa Wingate at the top of the best-selling list currently. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy to check it out. Okay, thank you, Jean. So in, in talking about the different areas of your life, the theme of balance came up for me. You have a private studio in Bell Chase, which is huge. How many square feet? Uh, uh, 37,000 square feet. 37,000. Yeah, sculpture garden, fabrication gallery, um, then a reference yard. There's thousands of work in the reference, like a, like a library. Then it's a big green area for pieces to be uh, put outside. But it, I didn't start there. You know, I started this is my fourth studio. So I've been really lucky to, you know, um, to, to build it up. Uh, there, but I've I kept my eye on the ball. May it be at Tulane and uh, in my own my own space because it, uh, it's also a learning uh, learning environment, Lisa. Where uh, when I'm working on pieces, I can walk around in that in that area and uh, and learn from older pieces uh, and where it's at too. I think one has to be really content where he's working in that uh, in a site it's a small little town uh, away from the city uh, the, uh, the Mississippi River goes by I'm always walking on the levee, levee or biking to get away from the work uh, and I think it's good for me to get away from Tulane too because my studio was here at one time and uh, I need my own uh, uh, my own time with my own work Yes, I was thinking of that, balancing your private studio with teaching at Tulane, which is so dear to your heart. You have a huge program. It's now a million-dollar facility, and you give everything you know to your students. And how is it to balance that relationship between teaching and then making your own work? Because it's a lot to manage. Uh, good question again, too. I think that there's some people that can't do that. Some people that do. I, I think I can get a lot of work done. I just don't have, I always tell kids I don't have much of a life, but I have a great life. You just <laughs> got to keep it, you, you have, you really have to be really focused, you know, rather than go to a party, I'll, I'll probably be in the studio. Tomorrow I'll be in the studio down the river, you know, because I got deadlines and, um, so I think there's a, there is a balance. Sometimes it pulls, uh, cause I don't want to just, I teach because I want to give. We've been really blessed with a great studio at Tulane. I work out of the studio, too. And also want to encourage a young artist. Uh, and I think over the years now, I've been able to feel good about how to get good sculpture out of uh, my, my students. And uh, and that's that's a, that's a calling, too, you know. So, uh, But my work is a calling. My work is uh, really important to me, too. Uh, and it always has been, you know. And I think my family knows that. I mean, the coming kind of commitment um you know work in it and financially now it's it's uh it's it becomes it's becoming well it has become big business for a long time but that has nothing to do with making art you know but uh you have to be on top of it in terms of um you know raising the money to to pull off your ideas so that's that is a that is a factor yeah, you know, and you've influenced so many people, myself included. I didn't know that I had an artist within me until you took me on over 20 years ago. And I've learned to be an intuitive from responding to glass, responding to the material, as you mentioned, in the moment and deciding what marks to make, not to make, color. And it's so much more than just 
making an object. I think it's it's a spiritual process. And so what would you want your students to kind of take from their time with you and, and from just the art making process? Um, I guess hopefully they uh, will listen to you when you're in class and, um, and, and they, and they, and they do, you know, you see the influences uh, around the country and in here. Um, I think you, you really, no matter if you're a conceptual artist, you're a writer or do performance or you do happenings or, or you do installation, you still got to be in the studio. And that's really, really important. And being in the studio is, I've always been, uh, and that's kind of, that kind of, uh, keeps me uh, balanced is, is, uh, the studio, uh, environment, um, uh, because it, it is quite involved and hopefully, um, you set a good example. I always say, you know, get on the train as it goes through town and that's a pretty hardcore, um, line, but it is, you know, I was really happy. I was really blessed to be at an undergrad school that had a lot of good teachers and then graduate school with John Clark and, and Philly being close to New York. So a, a lot of incredible heavy hitters, you know, so, um, that's been, um, that's been good for, for me likewise. So now we are one of the big programs. We, are, we have a glass center here in New Orleans. It's based on yeah. sculpture. Um, and not just me, but other uh, nonprofits, private studios. And it's a great city to work out of um, artistically. It um, is. It's, a, it's an art city, you know. Um, yeah. I've come out of the Midwest. Uh, um, but uh, this this city is really special, as as you know, and and for uh, for me and what we're doing here, you know, students come here and they want to stay here, and that's good, you know. Um, and since the storm, there's a whole different energy level too. Energy really keeps us going uh, as artists. You need to, we need to be around other artists, I feel, and then you need to be away away from them to, you know, get into your own world and push your own world to hopefully uh, have an identity. Yes. So for, for an artist listening, Gene, that is aspiring to work at your scale, because aside from the weight and tonnage, just the cost, your pieces sell for six figures. Mm -hmm. They cost five figures to make. It's not something, you know, that you typically wake up and I'm going to make sculpture at the scale of Gene costs. I know you have put day after day, year after year into building up, your your sculpture and your ability to create things. What would you advise the young sculpture sculptor that wants to work at the scale in in today's wow. time? Uh, it's a good question. I just think Thank that you. Um, you you um, you you you're really a, I mean, for one for one thing you get one chance at that as an artist. Uh, and so I always said I'm going to go for it, and I've done that. Um, yeah. but then it becomes very real because some, sometimes I've run out of money on my big projects. I stopped going out and took another job. Um, um, the grants, I've got grants over the years to just mm -hmm. plow right back into, I'm looking at a poster in my studio of Judy Paps. He said she got a $10,000 grant years ago, right back in the group. Well, $10,000, I hate to say it doesn't go very far with the kind of work I'm building, but right. I'm really, that's the, that's the way I run too. I mean, everything I make goes right back in to the work to make it because large-scale work is incredibly costly to build yeah. uh, and to get around. But I really look at the, the equation, and I can cut the cost down on, on uh, lots of things, on rigging and moving. I have my own trucking company now, and all moving, I cut the cost down there. You, gotta, you, you can't, I guess, if the big picture, Lisa, you can't give an excuse 
for not making the work you're doing. So you got to figure it out yourself. So right. I guess I've kind of figured it out, and sometimes it gets pretty, uh, it gets pretty edgy, uh, you know. Um, but you just hopefully there's uh, enough money in the pail to keep going, you know. And uh, but you can, you can, uh, yeah, big scale work. Is uh, had a student that started doing some larger things, and he said, "Cause I had no idea it was going to be this expensive." But you can't, you can't really bring that up. Uh, that's what uh, what it takes, and no one's really telling, uh, twisting my arm to make these pieces. But they have to be made. I, that's how, how intense these pieces are. That once they come up to bat for me when I'm making them, that to finish them. Uh, uh, I know I have to go through it, and that's just that's just part of how I work, I guess. When I think you've done well to work progressively and being committed to your vision, and and you don't compromise on that. You create, you have a vision, you build the piece, whatever it takes, however many years. You don't do a lot of commission, if really any. I know you don't want to compromise your your voice and and what you're creating. So I think it's a really different way that you have found, you own your own telehandler, uh, cranes, engine pullers, flatbeds. I mean, you have everything at your private studio to move this work around and people to to help you set and tear down and crates need to be built to actually haul the glass even just a few miles because it'll break otherwise. There's just so many moving parts that you've, yeah, that you've put yeah. together. Yeah, it is. You have no idea. Um, we had to do a talk at Pilchuck. Uh, about a uh, younger artist want to know what it took to turn the work that I make, make how much it, I mean, basically he wanted to find out what it cost to build yeah. it and move them around. And uh, we wouldn't, uh, I've got other artists to help me talk about their careers and my career. And I wouldn't really give him um, really good answers because it's pretty scary um, um, in terms of what it, the, the overhead we have now in the, in the big, the big studio, uh, and we just put a $40,000 roof on that studio, new roof, the wow. overhead, uh, on, on, on everything for insurance, um, uh, you, you name it. But, uh, but you learn how to do it. You just, you just, you, 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 you figure it out and we don't cut any corners because we spend this much time on a piece of casting. You got to protect the glass, uh, specialized crates got to be made. They got to be made so they can be shipped, airlifted yeah. or whatever, wherever they're going, uh, point A to point B. Now we're archival in the work. I just had a crew in looking at the studio and they, they were impressed, uh, how organized I was it's down organized. there. Well, I, yeah. I have to be because I don't really write anything thing down but if I want a piece that got to go from here to Chicago I can go in and pull it off the racks and and and, and, and ship it somehow now we ship with other carriers we're getting ready for a museum show in Wisconsin so that has to be those pieces got to be pulled and get ready for shipping so um, it's involved but you learn to look work way ahead on on projects on yeah. what uh, how I do and you learn how to handle uh, I mean like right now we're finishing up a, a major piece in the steel studio which is not my studio but it's my work and then we're finishing up the glass at Tulane and the book is coming out so there, I'm juggling right. like four, four different things but my father was really good about that in crews on his, in his business so I grew up in that kind of environment uh, where there was a lot of things going on but you got to you got to focus and and stay attentive I'd say 
stay alert on where you, where you're headed, uh, and uh, that's how I work anyway. But it, some people work differently, you know. But that's how I found how I uh, can can manage, you know. So you yes. you made mistakes when you're younger, but you really you look at it. We kind of really we look at well how we can improve on things. May it be in this studio at Tulane or in my own studio. Uh, so I'm always uh, looking ahead. Yes, and and uh, because everything you do now. Is it costs money for moving materials, not just in this raw materials. May it be metal, may it be light, may it be making crates, may it be moving the work, you know, and then hiring uh, crews to uh, install and deinstall and then equipment for that. But uh, I remember showing in New York and the young man said, who buys your equipment? And I said, well, <laughs> I bought my equipment. And that was yes. years ago. So we really... But we're really careful about that so no one gets hurt on sets uh, where you don't cut any corners on it. Um, right. But, you know, so that's yeah, it's my world, I guess. It is your world. So I have two more questions for you, Gene, as we're nearing the conclusion of our show today. So I am often asked, when is Gene retiring? And so while I don't expect you to answer that right now, your position and studio at Tulane is, is a desired position in the country. It's it's a huge blast program and it will take someone really big to fill your shoes. And what I'm wondering is what what do you hope to see for the future of Tulane's glass department knowing that you founded this in the 70s and what do you hope to see happen when you decide to turn it over? Hmm. Well, I hope that um, uh, um, they get somebody that's totally involved uh, and uh, and that they really like like it here and my wife and I really like it here so that really helps the program likewise and this is all I wanted to do and I'm really blessed to have that you know to be in an area um, it's a it's a it's a big it's a big job uh, to, uh, and um, hopefully they'll they'll find uh, but also um, the job should be protected because it's it's a, it's a lot of hours um, to to uh, to do uh, what we're doing to make a good studio. You know what I mean? Uh, and a sculpture you program. Got, you developed yeah, a sculpture program. Yeah, because basically it's a, a glass. It's a sculpture program in a glass program. So there's you got the steel shop, coal shop, uh, major hot shop. You know, so uh, you can pull off all these. I have an, a line. If you can imagine it, you can do it at Tulane. Well, you say that, and it, there's a it's a, a it's a big involvement uh, to keep it all going too, from day to day, because students are uh, want student want equipment that that are working. You know, we have a lot of high temperature. It means high maintenance. You know, so um, I'm hoping that uh, uh, we've inspired a lot of people, started uh, a movement here. In, in New Orleans, and I'm hoping that the school has been behind me. And I'm, 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 I'm you know, I know when it's time, you know, when that time comes, uh, hopefully right. they'll have somebody too, you know, that's really committed uh, to, to, uh, for, uh, for the, not just the school, but for the area, you know, because yeah. usually the, the school creates the, 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 the environment for a city, you know, um, you know, like Philadelphia with John Clark there, Wisconsin, uh, the yes. University of Wisconsin, when Harvey was there. So um, I'm sure that hopefully that will happen. Yes, I'm sure that it will. And, Gene, in conclusion, what is important for you to leave as your legacy, and how is it that you want to be remembered? 
Well, um, wrote down some uh, some some notes here. I thought the work itself, in terms of the use of glass as a material for a large scale uh, sculpture, and the two processes that I've developed, um, the the table casting for the large scale work, uh, which is done in, was done in sections, and then um, and then the the wood casting. Um, which is uh, two-piece molds or open-face molds, or punting out the large um, blocks uh, out of the out of the wooden molds, um, and then the glass program at Tulane. I think that the the focus on glass as sculpture medium, yes. uh, very un- very unique in the in the country and internationally. How I brought that up, I guess, not to, to boast, but the, then the large high-tech equipment and facilities we have developed. Um, it's the easiest thing to do, not the easiest thing to hand out a syllabi, but you got to have the good facilities so students can pull off their ideas. And then the artists who have gone through our program and are still creating glass art in New Orleans and around the country, and there's there's um, uh, just a ton of them running programs and then their own studios too. And I could go on and on and name, I guess, the people. Yes, so many. So yeah, so um, it's hopefully. Um, um, in your work, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to make work when I'm not at the university. Uh, right. But that's a, that's a commitment too about where I, where I can where I can work now away from the university when I'm in my own studio because I'm not I'm not one of those guys who's just going to quit and uh, and do other other things other than making art because I think I'm in a really good phase now now with the work and uh, and I'm, I've been really blessed with my health to keep uh, to keep moving. Yes. Is there any any last thoughts you have, Gene, to leave our listeners? Anything else that you would not, like not really. to know? Not really. Just you know, I just think that if you find something, especially younger artists, you find something you really like, uh, just go for it. You know. So if I turn back the clock, I I couldn't uh, I wouldn't change a thing. I've been really 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 lucky and blessed. I guess you know. That's awesome. Yeah, Gene, well, I just want to thank you. You've been a significant contributor to me and my life. I value the work that I've done with you and as an artist and you've inspired just tens of thousands of us. You're significant. You're a significant influencer. Well, um, you've, you've been a heck of a assistant here for years <laughs> with me. So, uh, put up with me. So I'm not the easiest person to work around, but uh, really Neither am thank I. You. So, well, I really, I really, really, uh, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you, Gene. And okay. thank you for being my guest. Have a good day. Okay. You too. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. That concludes my show for today. Please join in next week for another episode, and I wish everyone a happy holiday, however it is that you choose to celebrate it. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.